This is Teeming with Ideas, the podcast that explores how people at work work together. I'm Carlos Valdez Depena, your host, and I spent decades working with teams as well as researching, writing, and speaking about collaboration. Over the years, I've met some brilliant people who share my passion for collaboration. In Teeming with Ideas, I'll be speaking with these experts so that you can put them to work to make your work life richer and more rewarding. Enjoy. Welcome back, brilliant listeners, to another episode of Teeming with Ideas. I am pleased to have with me this week, Nevada Lane. Nevada, tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, wow, that's so existential. I love it. From a work point of view, I'm a visual facilitator, teacher, and coach, and uh, started a company called Lane Change Consulting out here in San Francisco, and work with teams in the U.S. and Europe and have been for about 18 years really focusing on this sort of visual collaboration, graphic facilitation piece of things. 18 years. So what were you doing before you got into this? Just curious. I spent most of my time growing up obsessed about going into the foreign service. And so I lived abroad and studied political science in my undergrad and then went to DC my senior year in college and realized that that was not for me. <laughs> Made a huge pivot and ended up moving to England and getting into marketing communication. So I was uh, doing Marcom work before I moved into the OD work. So you, you went from marketing communications into visual facilitation, but just a quick refresher, what the heck is visual facilitation? Yeah, it's such a good question because I often you know interchange the terms visual facilitation, graphic facilitation, but other people also can refer to it as graphic recording, scribing, harvesting. Harvesting. That sounds Harvesting. a little like, I know. like a horror movie. There's a, a group or a kind of practice called the art of hosting. And in that community, they call this work of capturing ideas in a visual format harvesting. So it's kind of interesting that the, the same term can apply to many different things. But the way that I've worked is really think of it as combining visual thinking and facilitation, mashing those two together in service of the client to help the, the teams collaborate more effectively together. You talk in your bio about focusing on work with teams. I have been in conferences with hundreds of people mm. where we had a graphic recorder on the side of the room with a 20-foot wide piece of paper taking notes. And I use quotation marks around that because it was more about using images with some words to capture the flow and the content. Do you do that sort of work or do you really focus on working with teams? I used to do more of that, what we would call graphic recording work, which is less interactivity between the participants and the graphic recorder at the wall. That person often has their back turned to the audience because they're in deep listening mode and they're they're just in their zone doing the, the visual thing. I don't do any of that work anymore. I have a team that will do that work for clients because I love working with the group so much. <laughs> I'm really grounded in dialogic OD work and thinking of that pull communication, which is what helps the team, helps teams and team leaders be successful. So that's where my first love is. We are nerding out a little bit in our space <laughs> of organization development. We're talking now about dialogic OD, which is a fairly recent way of labeling some ways of working with groups that have been around for a while. Because mm. I think at the root of that practice are things that 
everyday people can use. Tell us a little bit about what Dialogic OD is. For me, it's simply the fact that change comes out of talking with people and listening to people. I mean, that's how I think about it. And then there's different methodologies Mm -hmm. in there from open space technology and World Cafe and art of hosting Mm -hmm. and those. But basically, it's coming out of listening to people, talking to people, having people talk together to figure out what's happening and where this organization or team needs to go. That's how I think about it. Peter Block used to talk about convening, that the role of leaders is to convene convene people. And I think when I work with team leaders, I encourage them to be conveners, not the ones with all the answers, not the ones who establish the agenda and drive to the finish line, but who convene people to have conversations about the stuff that matters, right? And Mm. draw conclusions accordingly. It's a term for something I think that uh, some of the most inspiring leaders I've ever known do naturally. Yeah. What comes up for me is that core skill of listening as a leader. And if we don't convene, we can't listen. And I think most leaders and team leaders know how important listening is, but we have to do that convening in order to listen. So Every day, there's a new article out there on how to make your meetings better remotely. Mm. And this was an article basically about that one person who does all the talking and finding ways for those people to talk less and listen more. Mm. It's funny, this idea of getting people to listen, I think is so foundational to leadership, to collaboration. And here we are talking about the visual. And really, we veered off into a discussion, not about what's seen, but how to hear. Mm, yeah, the unseen. How to hear. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that the, the visual does help us to hear. How does making things visible help us hear what's really going on in a group? So I think I was talking to you that I just finished teaching this graduate school course at the University of San Francisco on visual thinking for organization development and how I framed it up to them. These are folks that didn't know anything about visual thinking and don't know anything about facilitation particularly. But the core themes there were the reason we want to make the invisible visible is so that we can go from complexity to clarity. There's just something around taking what's intangible in the field, in the air, bringing some kind of tangibleness to it so that we have something that we can do something with. This mental model that you might have is going to be different than a mental model that I might have or that people on my team might have. And if we can align on some visual around that mental model, it becomes a shared, visible thing that we can now work with and move forward with. It doesn't have to be fancy. You know, that visual doesn't have to be fancy. So COVID, it's been a long time. And all of us who work with teams have had to adapt. Helicoptering up to 35,000 feet for a moment, we've learned a lot. We've adapted. What's still a nagging problem or a persistent challenge for your clients? To me, the two things that I'm consistently seeing are meeting fatigue, Zoom fatigue, and just overall fatigue. Okay. And then prioritization. Because we've gone remote, And people aren't doing that work to often make the invisible visible. There's sort of a lack of alignment. People are working really hard, and it's really hard to bring people together to be aligning and working towards the same goals. That's that's what I'm seeing. And maybe that's sort of recency bias in the groups that I'm working with the past couple months, but that's a big one. It does seem to shift with each quarter. Every three or four months, I'm seeing an interest in sorting out what really matters. So staying with virtual teams for a minute... You went from using markers to what? How have you adapted your practice to working in this remote fashion? 
Because I know you've stayed mm. busy. You kept working. What's worked for you? It was a pretty dramatic pivot because, yeah, my hands used to be covered in marker ink at the end of the day, working with groups, large paper, and often a lovely conference room somewhere in the wine country was awesome. That beautiful energy in the room, and we got to draw these beautiful pictures in real time with the team and have these incredible conversations and meals, and wow, it all felt great, right? <laughs> You're making me so heartsick now. I miss all that. And just reflecting on the fact that we had so much time together, right? We could spend eight hours with this executive team or two days, right? And now it's crunched to working in two-hour increments in a virtual setting. The tool that's helped me the most in making that transition and trying to mimic the visual collaboration piece as much as possible in the remote setting has been using the tool called Mural, M-U-R-A-L, mm -hmm. which it's very similar to Miro, M-I-R-O. Right. Mural has been a real lifesaver for me in helping to recreate the environment as much as possible that we had in person. I know you have to subscribe. It's a monthly or annual fee. Does every team member have to sign up? What's it take to get using something like that? It's subscription-based, but it's fairly reasonable compared to some of the other tools that are out there. And yeah, the team can have one and then you can invite collaborators. I have one account and we'll have a session with you know 70 people on it. Just my account. Mm. They come in as a visitor, so they don't even have to create an account or it's super easy setup. Nice. And then they can collaborate in this and think about it like a scalable whiteboard on steroids. So anything you can do on a whiteboard or a wall in the room, you can do a mural with images and adding PDFs and adding video and drawing and lassoing things. It's and stickies that can resize. The possibilities are endless for collaboration. I find, and having experimented with Miro, it's almost overwhelming to me. There's so much you can do and I can't keep track and remember it all. <laughs> mm. I keep telling myself if I could find a, a live course where we could do things together, I would do that. It's impressive technology. And sometimes the most impressive technology can be the most intimidating to use. It has an endless length to it. In other words, you can keep going from left to right and adding more stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, you never <laughs> run out of room. Cool. Which for graphic facilitators and visual facilitators who had this set piece of paper, maybe a four by eight foot, where you would eventually run out of space, this is endless. And I've heard, you know, you're not alone in feeling like it is overwhelming to get up to speed. I, I do think like a two-hour investment getting up to speed in something like Mural with someone kind of guiding you, you would be ready to actually facilitate using the tool. You got a job. Two hours consulting to me <laughs> on how to make this thing work so I can <laughs> Great. use it. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> the work I do is meant to help teams and team leaders in particular become self-sufficient. I make a fair bit of my income from people paying me to come in and do things with them slash for them. My wish is that I could impart my knowledge and techniques to team leaders and teams so they could do this stuff by themselves. And in fact, from time to time, that's how it happens, right? Teams become self-sufficient. I think that's the goal. What would you say to someone who says, I, I like this idea of visual thinking and using some graphical device or other to help me get my team where we want to go? I don't even know where to start. Yeah, well, you know, what always surprises me is how much capacity for visual thinking people have without knowing it. 
your grandchildren drawing on the floor, like everyone has done that at some point in their life. Most people Mm -hmm. have had the chance as a child to draw something in a squiggly line and a circle and had some sort of experience using using tools to create visuals as a child. And that capacity is human and it's in each of us. What I found with folks is they really just need permission and space to do it. It's amazing what people actually can create. For example, I do an activity in my workshops called Graphic Jam and everybody gets a a stack of post-its. And I say, I'm going to tell you a concept and you're just going to draw something as simply as you can that represents this concept. And I say, global. Well, most people can draw a globe. And then we say, okay, what else can that globe represent? It can represent diversity. It can represent travel. It can represent all these different things. So people start realizing, oh, I can actually draw more concepts than I even thought. It's almost like, again, the freedom or their permission to do it is really all people need in terms of actually being able to draw something. I love that. And I'm just reflecting on the times when I've had people do graphic timelines, for example. Just a team that's been through a lot. They're just pulling themselves together after a rough stretch. And I ask them to go to the wall and I'll put up a long sheet of white paper and say, let's do five years. What has the last five years been all about for you? And then hand them the, the scented water-based markers and have them go to town. What about the, the one who says, oh, I can't draw. I, I, I can't draw. What's some good mm-hmm. language for those folks? Because I think it's very much about the words we choose. Mm-hmm. How do you talk to that person about getting them engaged and not being too self-conscious about it? People have art trauma. Something happened, third grade, fourth grade, something where they, you know, a teacher said something about something they drew. And from that moment on, they decided they were not good at drawing. And they're going <laughs> to hold on to that for their whole life. And I have a two-day visual facilitation boot camp that I teach. And I'm so proud of people that come that say that they can't draw and sign up for this two-day intense deep dive into drawing. And the truth is they can draw. That's the crazy thing is they can, but they have this belief that they can't. But are they going to be Leonardo da Vinci? Absolutely not. But the number one things I tell folks is it doesn't have to be fancy to be effective. We're not going for representational drawing where I want you to draw exactly with all the light hitting this coffee cup, that you're drawing me a perfect coffee cup. I just want you to simplify it down to the basic lines that you're communicating coffee cup. That's it. So it's a much lower bar that we need to set for folks so that they can feel like they can do it. Because they're holding themselves to the standard of representational drawing when we just need Icons. Icons. Icons and symbols. I'm looking at the bottom of my Zoom screen here. There's a little funky microphone icon and a camera icon and a little badge icon. And if you can outline something that looks vaguely right, boom. Yeah. It's like symbolic thinking. Mm -hmm. Draw something that symbolizes what you're trying to talk about. Those bashful people will get up there and they'll draw their symbols and their icons. And then we'll talk about what's the story all this is telling us. And they'll get a good laugh about some of what people have drawn, some of what they've drawn. It's really very disarming and quite charming, I find. They do become a little more childlike and a little more innocent. I love where you're pointing there because there's a humanity in the hand drawing that is important for the team. If you can get the team doing that, there's some level of psychological safety that this hand drawing helps to create because we're all on the same page. We're all humans trying to do our best with this marker on a paper. 
And there's something that supports the connective tissue of the team when we're all in that space. There's a different hierarchy, right? The boss obviously usually can't draw better than anybody else on the team, right? So there's this beautiful egalitarian thing that happens when we're drawing with folks. That is such a nice point. You know, I've read about the equalizing impact of Zoom and Microsoft Teams and the Mm. like. Because there is no one at the head of the table anymore. I love that. Yeah. And I love this notion that the drawing or the the, the creating of icons brings us all down to a somewhat similar level. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is there'll be times when we create in the room a hand-drawn graphic where the team is mm-hmm. like contributed to it, right? It looks kind of messy and a little childish, but the team has connection to that graphic. Sometimes they'll say, okay, Nevada, can you or, you know, your team go and like make this, make this look nice and create a digital Mm. piece out of it. And we come back with a digital version of it and sure it looks good, but it doesn't have the same resonance for that team as the original piece did. So the digitization I find creates a remoteness. It moves in the direction of graphic design, and we're all so inundated by amazing graphics and digital graphics and video graphics that it's not even impressive anymore. We expect that level of amazingness, and what we're missing is that human connection in the hand-drawn. And that's the nice thing about a a mural or a mural, right? Because you can go hand-drawn. I think Zoom actually has a whiteboarding feature to it. You can get a virtual marker and use your mouse to make shapes. You have a little less control than you do with an actual marker. Yeah, it's a little wonky. The workaround for Zoom is if you have an iPad and an Apple Pencil, you can log into the Zoom with your iPad, even as a separate user, and then use the whiteboard on your iPad, and then you have a little more control over drawing on, on that whiteboard. Good to know for folks who are using Zoom and doing that sort of stuff. I noticed in your bio that you are certified in the Enneagram. Yeah. I've known about this for years, and I hadn't heard a lot about it. But in the last couple of weeks, it's come up like three or four times. Can you tell folks a little bit what the Enneagram is all about? Sure. I just love the Enneagram, and I found it so powerful. So it's so fun that you're asking about it. So, I mean, the Enneagram, in in short, is a a map or a, a framework, if you will, for thinking about self-development and human development, people tend to think about it as a personality typing system. And it is, there's nine points around a circle. and So there are nine personality styles that are depicted on the Enneagram, but the personality typing part of the Enneagram is fairly recent in the 2000 plus year history of the Enneagram. So we don't actually know where the Enneagram came from originally, but it shows up in all these amazing places from the desert mystics and Christianity to Sufism to Kabbalah. So it's it's sort of fascinating. Um, now it's very popular in terms of thinking about personality types and understanding each other. What is its other application? So if the personality type was a later development, is there another use that's valid? Yeah, certainly. I mean, in the, the deeper tradition of the Enneagram is really about spiritual growth. Okay. All right. The nine types about the Enneagram and really looks at the core motivation of each type. So it's less about what you do and more about why you do what you do. But you can think about it as a spiritual development tool in the past. I just want to reground us in the practical application of visual thinking for managers and teams. Mm. One of the things I spend time with teams doing is I help them think about their collaborative purpose team purpose, people call it. But the idea is that a group of individuals in a conventional organization all reporting to the same person, they know why they are together technically. Because of the shape of the organization, their boss is their boss, so they're together under their boss. Or they all work in finance or marketing. 
um, or they're all working on the project to build XYZ brand. So you've got a functional reason for being. That collection of people can very well contribute as individuals. I'll do my bit, you do your bit, and it'll all get done. The person leading or coordinating the team will bring all the bits together, and we will basically be the sum of our various contributions. But then there's the idea that if we work in a collaborative fashion, we can create something greater than just the sum of our individual efforts. That our actual collaboration, not just working near each other or in parallel to each other, but actually with each other on some things, we can exceed the sum of the individual efforts. So the purpose is meant to capture what that potential is. Mm. How might you start that conversation if you were using some concepts from your world, if you were a manager and you wanted to get your team thinking about their higher purpose, not in a spiritual sense, but... Right. <laughs> it could be, but... Right. It could be. Um, yeah. There's a number of things that I've done over the years. I mean, the work of Simon Sinek, thinking about their their deeper why as a team is a wonderful tool to use, right? It has that simple golden circles framework that he uses. There you've got three concentric circles. Would you have people just start throwing words up into that golden circle or would you have them draw images within it? Or Yeah, I think they even have a book about it. I think it's even called Finding Your Why. There's a pretty straightforward process that's very word heavy. And so I always have to do a twist on it and make it more visual. And right. I think if we want to tap into people's deeper aspirations for the team, to me, visuals can be really important. Don't abandon the words, certainly. The words are important. We have this thing called dual coding theory, where the words and the visuals together is what actually creates the amped up memory recall and retention. So, so don't forget the words, but adding visuals any way you can. So you can draw something. So you could have the teams collectively draw what successful collaboration looks like for them, for example, or you could have them do a collage I've done that a number of times with teams where you bring in all of the old magazines and have them cut out pictures that inspire them and create this huge collage. And the important thing there is don't leave it at the collage. I think this is the mistake some people make. You have the collage or in the same way that if you brought in Lego bricks and said, okay, we're going to build something that represents collaboration. Cool. So that's step one. You've done something around visual thinking there. The most important thing is the storytelling that then happens after you've done that visual piece. Okay. So you look at it and then you have people tell the stories about it. What is it that you're seeing on the board? Why did you pick the images that you picked? Why did you build that thing that you built with the Legos? And that's where the brain is doing the meaning making as right. they're doing the storytelling. And then you as the team leader, the facilitator, your job is to make sure you're capturing those stories because that's really the essence of what people are aspiring. And that's that's where the unified story or purpose comes together that you need to be listening for as the team leader. Lots of team leaders I work with have a hard time facilitating. Mm. It's another thing I think there's some baggage around or some preconceived notions. I'm not a facilitator. I, I, I'm a doer. Would you have any tips for my brilliant listeners who happen to lead teams around sharpening their capabilities as facilitators? Yeah, you know, I teach facilitation. It is hard. You know, if you're the team leader and you're constantly feeling like you're you're in doing mode with the team and that you're supposed to be in directing mode, it is hard to take off your hat as a driver and move into a facilitator mindset. It is like changing hats. So I totally get the challenge there. There's a great book called The Surprising Science of Meetings that came out recently. It's really directed towards team leaders 
about how to improve their meetings. And it really lays out the case for why it's important, the cost of bad meetings and how to do a meeting audit, how to know if you're facilitating well in the first place. It gives some really practical tips. It's a fairly short read, really practical. The Surprising Science of Meetings, it's called. Yeah. As I was developing my latest facilitation class, which I teach online, Mm -hmm. So it's a facilitation fundamentals class, but taught in a virtual setting. I went back to that book a number of times because I really liked the practical skills without getting fancy. But it is something that I find that producing results is the focus, right? Mm -hmm. And there's an impatience for results. Chop, chop, we got to get the work done. By the way, when I coach people on how to run effective meetings, if it's a collaborative thing, make the meeting about co-creation. Right? We're there to do something together. We're there to create a tangible deliverable. We can focus our efforts around that. And I guess in doing that, there's a chance that I do a disservice to my clients because there's a certain time when you just need to be together. Mm-hmm. Mm. Pivoting a bit in our conversation, that's been another issue in the, in the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? I just read a piece yesterday. It's about making sure you structure the time to just be together and make it just about that Mm. because we need the connection. Yeah. I've seen clients do really wonderful things with their teams as they've learned over their pandemic, how to do that. Well, I found in the beginning people were doing happy hours and people were wanting deeper connection. So with some of my clients, we did a mindfulness hour and there was no work agenda a space where we were going to be together, but not just do chit-chat. Okay. Right? Because people can do chit-chat happy hour. That was one thing. People need an invitation to go a little bit deeper and connect. This has nothing to do with visual facilitation, but we started off with a mindfulness practice just to get centered. Um, And then we had a couple of prompt questions. What's the biggest thing you've been learning about yourself over the last few months? What's the biggest learning you've had about this team over the last couple of months? What are you really appreciating about this group of people that you didn't appreciate before? I like it. A few prompts that anchor the conversation and give them a little bit of space to be together. Of course, we're still on a meeting, and yet it's a break from the work. It's a break from the work, and yet it's important work. Mm. In the framework I use with teams, one of the six practices is called sustain and renew. Yeah. And there's work to be done around sustaining our energy and our spirits and our engagement and renewing ourselves. And sometimes renewal involves reflection, thinking about where we've been, where we're going. It's so valuable. And in my thinking, it is a tangible deliverable. We are creating learning. We are creating understanding and meaning, shared meaning, which I think is the foundation for the most powerful teams. Mm. And uh, not every team has it. And it's one of the reasons I work with purpose. Mm. What's the meaning of our work together? Mm. I love that. There's a sense-making, right? People are working so hard and often need to be invited into deeper sense-making around their meaning of their team, the purpose, and also just like, what does this all mean that we're doing together? This is part of becoming a learning organization or a coaching culture, right? There has to be this thing about reflection and tapping into something a little bit deeper. I've heard about a deck of cards called Actually Curious. Ah. And it's meant, it's, I am holding a deck here in my hands. I will reach into this and pull okay, out, cool. I want to do this for you, pull a card out. I don't think all these questions are appropriate for all occasions. Here's, here's one that's very businessy sounding. How do you measure one's potential? 
what cultural or moral values do you hold in high regard mm. and why? They're kind of a nice tool and they're available online. If you have a hard time thinking of those provocative questions, it can be an aid. Yeah. Your questions were really simple and grounded in the team's experience, something that managers could use. What have we mm-hmm. been through? What's it really about? Mm-hmm. You're a great thought partner. So Nevada Lane, Lane Change Consulting. LaneChangeConsulting.com. I'm on LinkedIn and then at Instagram at LaneChangeConsult. Thank you, Nevada. And to my listeners, I look forward to having you with me again on the next episode of Teaming with Ideas. Stay safe and healthy. Hi. I'm Janet Aldrich, producer and director of Teaming with Ideas. Thanks for listening. And thank you, John Wallerick, for the music. If you found this podcast useful, please subscribe, review, and share. Want more? Visit Carlos's blog, Teaming with Ideas, at carlosvdapena.com. Questions? Click on the Contact Carlos button, and we'll answer promptly. To be interviewed on the Teaming with Ideas podcast, visit carlosvdapena.com forward slash podcast dash contact and complete the questionnaire. Thanks again for listening and keep on teaming with ideas.